Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911, two man car, Jess Romero, Paul Clay. Today's song for today. Psalm 86, listen, Lord, and answer me. Incline your ear, O Lord. Answer me, for I am afflicted and poor. Keep my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. All right, Jesus 911. By the way, uh, good reason to read the Bible. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. Did he catch that? Inspired God, that means God breathed and profitable for teaching. There it is, teaching for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what does daily Bible reading do for you Catholics? Here it teaches you. You're able to reprove things. You're able to offer correction or be corrected and it trains you in righteousness. All right, well, let's jump into the first topic Mr. Paul, how are you, my friend? Jess, Jess, always good to be here with you. Got a couple of things we're going to talk about today. Number one, we're going to talk about how did the church descend into a state of managed decline? Six stages to defeat. We're going to talk about how many Protestant denominations are there. And then we're going to talk about something across the pond. <clears throat> Pro-lifer in Poland punished for commons on homosexuality in case you thought that Poland was a bastion of conservatism. Uh, I don't think so. Poland has been just like uh, many other countries has been hijacked by the left. So let's let the doctor, the great doctor Peter Kwasniewski uh, in this well-written article, he always writes articles that are on the cutting edge. It's called, How Did the Church Descend in a State of Managed Decline? Six Stages to Defeat. And, and Dr. Kwasniewski laid out succinctly what happened post-1965. Like I haven't seen anybody lay it this crystal clear. So, looking at the devastation wrought by Pope Francis at the many heartless careerist bishops, what Paul always calls hirelings, at the consolidations... Mergers, closures, and shuttered church properties at the younger generations abandoning religion in droves. Yeah, we call those nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Is it a wonder that nowadays one of the most common questions asked by thoughtful Catholics is, how in the world did we ever get to this point? It is a vitally important question, and it can be answered. Answering it honestly is the first step towards knowing what to do next. The truth may sting, but it also heals. It may leave us bereft of our favorite imaginary picture, but it will liberate us from falsehood, which is a better outcome. So Dr. Kwasnuks is going to present his, uh, his thoughts, brief thoughts on how the church has de- descended into a state of managed decline over the last 60 years. And Paul, what is the first one of the, on the six stages to defeat? Yes, number one, the Second Vatican Council produces documents with sufficient t- 
time bombs. That is deliberate ambiguities or call them what you like to provide sustenance to the future spirit of Vatican II, which will largely involve a repudiation of the so-called Constantinian error or reign of Christendom and with it traditional philosophy, theology, liturgy, and morality. Let me make a comment on that first uh, first point that Dr. Kwasniewski makes. This, there were 16 documents that were promulgated in Vatican II. No council has ever given us more documents. It was top-heavy with documents. Twelve of the documents are basically cut and paste from prior popes, saints, and councils. There are four documents that are called pastoral documents, and those are the ones where there was sufficient ambiguity written in them to provide uh, the future modernist this, uh, this battle cry that they've been using ever since 1965. They'll say, well, yeah, that's not exactly in the documents, but this is the spirit of Vatican II. And uh, remember, when we talk about spirits, Paul, you have angels and demons. The spirit of Vatican II, as promoted by these modernists, are demonic spirits, not angelic. Yeah. And so, Jess, so uh, four quick points that, that came out were they, they don't clearly define Catholic truth. They fail to definitively reject error. And they adopt ambiguous, contradictory language. And they establish teachings very close to heresy. And this is, therein lies the problem. Number two. Go ahead, bring number two, Paul. Okay, number two. The Catacombs Pact, which took place just prior to the end of the council's final session, entered into some of the leading radicals of the council. It meant that there was effectively a Protestant style group inside the church at very senior levels determined to finish the work started by Martin Luther. So in the mid 1960s, in the midst of Vatican II, there was, uh, I don't know the number, well, let's just say dozens and dozens and dozens of Catholic bishops that were at the council that met in the catacombs and they called it the catacombs pact. They were all modernist. Now they knew that they didn't get their way entirely. And so they, they said, after the council, we will just basically push our agenda through. And uh, since we're the majority right now, modernists are the majority, we're going to finish the work that was started by Martin Luther. And so uh, the catacombs pact is something that, is very common to most of us Catholics that are deep in history. And we knew about this secret cabal during the council that was gathering together in the catacombs after the council meetings. And they were talking about, okay, we're going to, we're going to push our agenda through, even though we can't get it uh, clearly in writing, like we would like, we'll just ram it through. And that's exactly what they've been doing for the last 60 years. Number three, it says, are you, you got number three? Yeah. The production of heretical or inadequate catechisms on a large scale, unchecked by the insipid Pope Paul VI, this led 
to the interruption of the passing on of the faith to subsequent generations. A good summary of the, of the litany of heretical catechisms that came out in the wake of Vatican II is also provided with the article. Uh, Jess, uh, I can tell you that this is a huge one. When you have infiltrated on such a level that you have basically produced a generation of people who don't know the faith, who they can't hold on to that which was not passed on to them. And this is why you have in such a short time, as, as Dr. Kwasniewski puts it, the, the, the church is descending. We should be ascending, right? But we're descending. We are systematically declining, becoming more and more and more in line with the world. Yeah, also another point that I want to make uh, that Dr. Krasnowski talks about, you have a lot of the left, the modernists at Vatican II, like the bishops in Germany, uh, the bishops in, in Belgium, the Dutch countries, they came out with catechisms right away right after the council and many of those catechisms were just full of errors and heresies so much so that the church had to step in after pope paul uh pope paul the sixth john paul the second had to step 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 in and tell them to pull those catechisms from their shelves and that's when eventually uh pope john paul the second put cardinal ratzinger in charge to come up with the catechism of the Catholic Church put out by the Vatican. And the first one that came out, I think, was in 94. In 94. 92 or 94. It also had some uh, editorial work that needed to be redone. So a second one came out. So we've had a problem in getting out proper catechisms since Vatican II. And now... So now we have the second volume of, of, the, of the catechism, which is the one that I have. And I don't use any other one past that. Why? The ones, the catechisms now under Pope Francis, he's been changing little things here and there from the newer catechisms. And so I, I just hold on to the 1994 catechism, which was the last one that was definitively signed off by John Paul II. Now, there, there's even one thing there that I don't like. There is. There's some things that I don't like. Like, like here's one, for example, that, uh, that comes to mind. Pope John Paul II, he basically modified or he added, amended the teaching on the death penalty in the 1994 Catechism, where he said, um, he, 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 the language he said, it should be used, you know, in very narrow circumstances, almost never. Well, it was that verbiage that's been used by the modernists now to saying, hey, we've got to get rid of the death penalty. Now, Vatican II didn't teach that, but again, you start using ambiguous language, and that was what's happened. You give the left an inch, they'll take a country mile. We'll be right back. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Three things that the New Testament teaches. Think about this. Christ is dry. Check that box off. Christ is risen. Check that box off. Christ will come again. That's all we're waiting for. Two of the three things that are taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, two have already happened. We're just waiting for a second coming. We're talking about the six stages to defeat. Dr. Kwasniewski lays it out. He this is number four, post-1965, the rebellion, the modernist rebellion that started in 1965. And he's giving us kind of the bullets of what happened. Here's the, the next bullet. The widespread revolt against Humanae Vitae in 1968 which also went unchecked by the spineless or controlled, he writes Pope Paul VI, Dr. Kwasniewski's words, this revolt by the clergy led to the moral decline of clergy and faithful in general and explains why the majority of Catholics no longer vote on big moral issues any differently than does the average voter and don't live their lives any differently. They have, for all intents and purposes, been totally assimilated by secularity. What happened there in 1965? Uh, the Griswold versus Connecticut in 1965 they uh, they uh, legalized abortion, uh, birth control in the U.S. for the first time. Birth control was even outlawed for Protestants. There's a good book called The Bible and Birth Control by Dr. Proven, who's a Protestant. It was goes all the way back to Luther. And mm-hmm. so in the in the six in 65, the Supreme Court legalized it because uh, Hugh Hefner, he funded the legal brief. He needed birth control so that uh, he, uh, Playboy can make a lot of money. Because he was only getting about two or three years of usage from these young women before they got pregnant. He figures he could get 10 to 15 years from these young women. And so he was behind. He funded the legal brief for Griswold versus Connecticut. It uh, Supreme Court legalized it. And so the whole world was now looking at the Catholic Church. What's the Catholic Church going to do? Every single Protestant denomination caved in. Every single one. In fact, they caved in way before. The Protestants caved in on birth control in 1935 at the Lambeth Conference, and in 65, at the, when the U.S. Supreme Court legalized it, the last few remaining conservative Protestants, they also caved in. So that's a non-issue for Protestants. Protestants don't even realize that birth control is what's called a late abortifacient. You're actually killing babies through birth control because it doesn't prevent pregnancy. What it does, the woman gets pregnant, it prevents implantation. And so I've confessed, by the way, uh, that me and my wife used birth control for several years. I can imagine how many babies I've killed. I've confessed those. Those are under the blood of Jesus Christ. When me and my wife realized what birth control was, we got off of it. But uh, in 1968, Pope Paul VI did something courageous. Is He wrote a letter, which it was, it was a shot fired throughout the world. It's called Humanae Vitae. And what he did is he re- reaffirmed the church's teachings on birth control. That shocked the world. It even shocked, you know, most Catholics. We thought that he would cave in on it because he was not known to have to be very strong and forceful. Mm-hmm. Point number five. This was a big one, Paul. Point number five. The construction of an entirely new liturgy, the Novus Ordo Missae, and the rest of the revised rites by the Freemason Unini and approved by Pope Paul VI to embody the spirit of the council. The introduction of the year after year of, of year after year of radical reform from 1964 onward led to confusion about what is and is not changeable and a precipitous decline in Catholic practice. The proponents of the spirit of Vatican II needed 
a new right to accelerate the revision of the faith in the souls of Catholics. Oh, how quickly the bishops accepted it. From a combination of blind trust in the papacy and their own feelings of revolutionary fervor. You know, Jess, uh, something should be pointed out here. And that was when they talked about blind trust. You see, this is how the devil was able to maneuver and manipulate the church through this idea of obedience. You know, he knows that Catholics are obedient. And so, so if he could somehow infiltrate, which, you know, we, we've talked about that numerous times, infiltrate the church and then uh, uh, at, at, at a high level and make changes, the people would automatically have a blind trust. And that's exactly what we see today. This trust that led us down a road, I call it the road to perdition. <laughs> but uh, here's that's what my I would thoughts. Say. I would say that the as a Roman Catholic Christian, the only person we should have blind faith in is in God the Trinity, period. Amen. Amen. Everybody else from Pope, Bishop, your pastor, all the way down, Deacon, your father, you should have a rational uh, faith in. In other words, mm. use reason when they give you orders. Yes. So yes. Re- reason must be engaged when anybody else is, is asking for your obedience. Human reason and your, and, and your well-formed faith must assent to what's being said if it comports with the deposit of faith. The only person you can give blind faith to is God the Trinity. Period. Everybody else... Put your thinking well cap said. on, listen to what they say to you, and then filter it through your your well-formed Catholic faith and reason. Well said. Point number well six. Said. Even those Point who are well aware. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. That just even those who are well aware of the former stages may not be aware of what is perhaps the most potent behind the scenes explanation for the stacking of the hierarchy with substandard, easily controlled apparatchiks, namely Paul VI's new policy that forced the retirement of bishops at the age of 75. And the Freemason, Cardinal Baggio's near omnipotence in selecting all the new bishops over a 12-year period from 1972 to 1984. So he stacked the deck way back then. All you have to do is look at the period to see how rapidly the hierarchy was infested with termites. Once the termites were in place, they perpetuated their own termite kingdom only those in the club, yeah, the, the, the Lavender Mafia Club, get promoted with some rare exceptions. Even John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI appointed many wicked bishops and cardinals. Dr. Krasniewski has a partial list if you want to see it there. If you don't believe me, uh, I, it's just embarrassing, but Pope John Paul II uh, 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 picked Cardinal McCarrick elevated him, elevated Cardinal Mahoney. I, I can give you many more, okay? Now, I'm not blaming him because he, he was probably being told by, by the Lavender Mafia saying, hey, this is a good guy. He respects you. He's orthodox. He's, and, and I can say that about Mahoney. For example, Mahoney fooled everybody. Yeah. Mahoney was the bishop of Stockton, California. I went into the internet and started looking at his, his writings back in the 50s and 60s. They were absolutely solid. He sounded like a, a, a Bishop Snyder. 
when he John Paul II moved him from Bishop of Stockton to, to Los Angeles and gave him the red hat, boy, oh boy, did he flip. And so, I, I, you know, I'm not entirely blaming John Paul II and Benedict for, for having appointed some bad bishops and cardinals because a lot of these guys were two faces. They played the game, and then once they got that powerful red hat, all of a sudden they went. Well, they took a hard left. Well, look, no, no different than Barack Obama when he became president. I believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman. Yeah. Then after he got reelected, all of a sudden that changed. Yeah. Listen, yeah. <laughs> Jess, uh, when people you know feel that they have a lock on power, then their true self can come out. Uh, they can, it's easy for them to be all things to all people when the when the time is right. In fact, uh, Islam does that a lot. They say, you know, they'll take from the uh, 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 anybody who is uh, the infidel. They'll they'll take and receive from the infidel uh, when they have need. But then, when the time is right, they'll take those same resources and use it against. Yeah. So yeah, it, uh, it, Islam also has a teaching in Arabic. It's called takia. Takia means you're allowed to lie to the infidel. So yeah, if you're outnumbered, yeah. you're going to say yeah, yeah, ple- yeah. I pledge of allegiance yeah. to the flag. Oh yeah. yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, one nation under God. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. As soon yeah. as they become the majority, then the sabers come off, and uh, the imposition of Sharia law begins. Yes, yeah. But you see the natural progression here, Jess. What they've done is they've uh, uh, they've uh, taken all the people who know better and they retired them. They replaced them with like minds that, that, that think like them. And then they, they begin to introduce uh, ambiguities in order to confuse, which eventually resulted, you know, let me just tell you a little story, Jess. When I, when I was in the Protestant church, I noticed going from one church to another, the, all the different ideologies, the different ways they taught. And I was told at the time, well, we agree on all the essentials. We just disagree on on the non-essentials. And this idea then uh, uh, somehow brought some semblance of unity but at the same time, we knew there was really a lack of unity. That was the, the, the crazy thing. There's a, a serious lack of unity. There's not one baptism, one faith, one, you know, there, there's just a whole bunch of ideas. Anyway, that I've seen that spread within Protestant circles to now they, they, they not only want to tolerate each other, but they want to tolerate other religions. And I, and, and I see the Catholic Church moving in that direction. So it's more than just, hey, you know, we all just, uh, you know, we agree on the essentials. Well, the essentials now are, you know, tend to focus on, on hey, humankind, let's, let's treat, you know, let's, let's, let's just, religion is just treating each other right, no matter what, respecting each other's opinions. We don't have to agree on anything. We can all work ourselves out and work our way to God in our own way. And it and that totally undermines the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And it totally undermines Jesus Christ when he says that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And these ideas, these they might seem benign and, and small when you look at and study in, in Vatican II, but those 
that little bit of error just grows and grows and grows. And here we are today. Uh, we have Catholics that don't even discern and and uh, the real presence of Christ. They don't understand the basic teachings of the faith anymore. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, Dr. Kwasniewski just showed us the way uh, they've thrown this frog in a boiling pot of water and they've been cooking it little by little and they're trying to cook us to yep. death. I want to move on to just how many Protestant denominations are there. Steve Beale, a Catholic convert, the convert to the Catholic faith, wrote a good article. He says, the, the Christ's prayer for unity 2,000 years ago must, must urgently become the prayer of all of us today, especially as Protestant Reformation marks its 500th anniversary. So he wrote this article about seven, eight years ago. The commonly cited figure of 33,000 has apparently been thoroughly debunked, but this only raises the question, how many Protestant denominations are there really? It's not easy to find the answer. We'll be back. Jesus 911. Question. How many Protestant denominations are there? Well, we'll see what Steve Beale has to say. To Jesus nine If this call is not an emergency, dial eight 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 five two six two one five one. So, how many denominations are there? It's not easy to find the answer. First, a step back. The figures cited above came from an authoritative source that uh, thirty three thousand. It came from the World Christian Encyclopedia. One reason the numbers considered too high by critics is because it counts same denominations as separate if they are in different countries. So with 238 countries at the time of the survey, apparently this was 2001, one can see how this alone would inflate the number beyond the reality. But the world's Christian encyclopedia's method seems to be shared by other institutions. For example, the Center for Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary that's where Scott Hahn graduated from and many other converts, Jerry Matitic, Steve Wood, many of the powerhouses today, which is evangelical Protestant estimates that there are currently 47,000 denominations. This survey relies upon the same methodology as the World Christian Encyclopedia, which apparently deems credible. And if you don't consider Gordon Conwell very authoritative, keep in mind that they are utilized as a primary source by the Pew Research Center, which pretty much is the gold standard for social science research in the United States. And remember, Gordon Conwell is an evangelical Protestant, so this is a Protestant institution's own assessment of its own traditions, denominational plurality. So let me just make a comment that I want to hear from you, Paul. So, okay, so you got two major sources that they give two different numbers. The... Uh, the the World Christian Encyclopedia, it's it's from Oxford. It's about six inches. You could it's about six inches thick. It's in every library. It's it, the last when I saw it, it was chained in the library. Uh, so it gives thirty three thousand denominations, but then Gordon Conwell gives forty seven thousand. So let's just say that we don't know exactly how many denominations are there, but we know this: we could say with 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 full assurance that there are pro thousands. That's all I was to say thousands 
of Protestant denominations post-1521 after Martin Luther split from the Catholic Church and his own followers split from him as well. And so it doesn't really matter for the, a Catholic, a Protestant discussion that we don't know the exact number of how many Protestant denominations are there. That's not important. What is important is that Jesus Christ started one church. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father of all. And what's and Amen. also what it what, what's what's implied in that Ephesians chapter four by Saint Paul is that there's also one church. Why is there one church? Because Jesus Christ has one bride. Our Lord Jesus yes. Christ doesn't go to Epstein Island like the, the rest of our yes. politicians. He doesn't. Uh, he's not. He's not polyamorous. Okay. Jesus Christ has one bride. He's monogamous, and so if there was even just two Protestant denominations, it's wrong and it's heresy. But the fact is, we know that there's at least thousands, even though that we don't know the exact number. The exact number is irrelevant for the fact that Protestantism as a, as a whole, those are the barren fruits. Those are the barren fruits of the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Ulrich Zwingli. Paul, comments? Yes, yes. It is an ocean of confusion within Protestantism. Okay? Nothing but confusion. And it even gets to the point where some, you know how it works, Jess, if you disagree with the pastor or whatever, uh, and you feel strongly about it, you just go and start your own church. And at some point, many of these denominations fall into, and this isn't just uh, uh, me criticizing, this is other conservative Protestant denominations uh, say that these guys are, they've fallen off the wagon. They are no longer Christian. They are a non-Christian cult. They claim to be Christian, but they deny the essential teachings of the faith. But because they don't have the faith, they don't have the structure that Jesus Christ set up, uh, you know, defining what is essential in the faith becomes uh almost impossible. And again, as I was talking before the last break, so not only does uh, does this um, plethora of denominations begin to tolerate each other, but they begin to now come up with ideas that, hey, it, this goes beyond Christian. Let's just have a, let's just have a faith movement. Faith is important. So when, so this, the idea, and this is what's so dangerous when you call the Jews, you know, our elder brothers in the faith, the Jews don't have the faith. They rejected the faith. That is exactly why in 70 AD, um, the, the, the penalty for their violation of the covenant fell upon them. So they, they do not possess the faith. So they are not our elder brothers in the faith. Does that make sense? Well, they, they possess a faith which is obsolete according to the book of Hebrews. So yes, they, yes. They, they, they were the one true religion back in the Old Testament. Yes. But the book, of he, the book of Hebrews is quite clear that the, all those five covenants are obsolete. So all those five yeah. covenants have now given way to the new and everlasting covenant. So yes, that, I mean, yeah, think about, yeah. The only think, thing, I, the only thing that I would say about the Jews is this: objectively speaking, God only started heaven only started two religions. Okay, yeah, only He started yeah. Old Testament Judaism. Yeah, 
which now is obsolete. And he started yeah. New Testament Catholic Christianity. All the yeah. other religions were not started by heaven. None of them. Only yeah, but Old Testament Judaism and New Testament Roman Catholicism. But Old Testament Judaism is now obsolete. Yeah. And Jess, you remember what our Lord said to them. He said, you search the scriptures and thinking that in them you will have eternal life. And it is them that testify of me. Uh, he said the volume of the books is written of me. And so the Jews could not see that. And uh, therefore, uh, you know, as we know and agree, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He is the reality. The types and shadows of the Old Testament were all referring to him. And because they have rejected him uh, as a whole, and I'm talking about on a religious sense, not on an ethnic sense, they have rejected the Christ. They do They do not possess the faith. Yeah, well, they don't possess the true faith. They possess the faith yes. that's obsolete. They possess yes. the faith that, that was once, uh, you know, heaven sent, so to speak. Right. But uh, right. With, the, with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that faith is, that faith is no longer salvific, and it's been put to no. the shelf. So, no. uh, yeah, so here's something else that I would also mention about the Catholic Church being the one true church. Uh, you even have honest Protestants that admit this. There's a book put out by Dr. Ron Rhodes. He used to work for Dr. Walter Martin. He was one of his researchers for the, the Christian Research Institute back when Mal Walter Martin, when he was the head of CRI. And one of his uh, Rhodes scholars is Ron Rhodes. Ron Rhodes wrote a book. It's called, I have it in my shelf. It's called The Complete Guide to Christian Denominations Understanding the History, Beliefs, and Differences. On page 96, I don't want to bore you, but there he basically says, Jesus Christ started the Catholic Church. So Ron Rhodes admits it. You also have a very respected Protestant scholar. He's in Jerusalem. Professor J.N.D. Kelly. He sits on the Academic Council of Ecumenical Studies in Jerusalem. He wrote a book called The Oxford Dictionary of Popes in 1986. He also, uh, you know, hold your seatbelts, Protestants. I don't want to, uh, don't you to fall off. He says this, quote, The papacy is the oldest of all Western institutions with an unbroken existence over almost 2,000 years. For much of its history, from the early struggles to establish the primacy of the See of Peter to the development of the modern papacy in the 20th century, spiritual and temporal powers have been inextricably mingled in the person of the Pope. I also have another very respected Protestant uh, scholar, J.I. Packer, Dr. J.I. Packer. He wrote a book called Nelson's Illustrated Encyclopedia of Bible Facts, 1995. On page 537, he says, Jesus Christ started the Roman Catholic Church. Also, an, a very famous apologist, he's a professor now at a college, his name's uh, Ken Samples. He, uh, he wrote an article back in 1993. I have it right in front of me. I just pulled it up here on my computer. CRI Journal, the article's called What Think Ye of Rome? Spring 1993, Part 4. Ken Samples, uh, on page 37 of that article, he basically says the, the Catholic Church is the only church that goes back to the time of Christ. And so I'm quoting intellectual giants here. Uh, J.N.D. Kelly, yeah. J.I. Packer, Ken Samples, uh, I mean, the, the, these, are, these are the heavy hitters 
And these guys in their academic work admit that Jesus Christ started the Catholic Church. Hey, Jess, I remember when you were telling me uh, about the church and you were telling me, Paul, you know, um, you were just giving me all everything Catholic. And I didn't have an answer for a lot of things that you were saying. So I went to Ken Samples. He was a friend of mine. And I said, Ken, I said, um, this is what's being presented to me about the Catholic Church. And he just looked at me and, and I was expecting him to give me an answer because very intelligent man. Right, uh, right. And he, he just looks at me, Jesse, and he says, well, Paul, he says, I, I wish I had an answer for you, but the Catholic Church really has a lot of strong positions. That's what he told wow. me. Yeah. So wow. he admitted that. He says, he says, this that, is something that rocked your world. Have, that rocked yeah, your yeah, world. Yeah, because I was, a, I was expecting him to just, you know, give me a, a whole litany of answers that I could uh, right. answer. And they just weren't there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, the, the, these are some of the giants that I've, that I've, here's two other giants, Dr. Mead and Dr. Hill. They wrote a book called the handbook of denominations on page 267 of that book. Uh, Dr. Mead and Dr. Hill, one's the Methodist and one's an Episcopalian. Uh, they, it says here, the Western world was almost solidly Roman Catholic. The Roman Catholic Church dates its beginning from the moment of Christ's election of the Apostle Peter. Yeah, I just quoted to you five giant Protestant intellectuals that admit that the only church that goes back to the time of Christ is the Catholic Church. Hey, up next, we want to talk about what's happening in Poland. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. Pro-lifer in Poland punished for comments on homosexuality. That's across the pond, but it's also happening in Canada. So it's happening on mm -hmm. this side of the continent, too. And who knows if, if Mr. Biden wins... Another four years, trust me, that'll start happening in America as well. Uh, a Polish pro-life leader has been convicted for allegedly slandering the LGBT community in his country. Marus Zerzowski, board member of the Pro-Right to Life Foundation, was sentenced on January 17th for organizing a campaign to inform Poles about scientific research linking homosexuality and pedophilia. <laughs> the guy's not even mm. getting Bible verses or theology. He's getting science. According mm -hmm. to courts in Danks, speaking about these matters constitutes defamation of LGBT activists. I'm going to stop right there. Well, if anybody thought that, again, Poland was was the stronghold and bastion of, of, or, of uh, conservatism and patriotism, we're seeing right now, they're mm. being dismantled brick by brick. It says, he was slapped with a fine of 15,000 Polish lotes, which is... Shladis. Oh, thank you. Shladis. Shladis. Thank you. Approximately 4,000 American dollars and required to perform 20 hours of community service per month in for the next year. Paul, you want to pick it up from there? Uh, yeah. Uh, Dzhowski 
called the court's verdict shocking. He explained, this is simply the terror of the radical homosexual left that blocks telling the truth in my activities. I referred to publicly available statistics and official research results that were published in the media, studies and books. But as it turns out, saying the same thing in public is already defamation. Wow. The truth has been, yeah, the truth has become wrong. Well, that's what, what, what it says, Jess. It says good will be called evil and evil will be called good, right? That's it. And that's where, that's where we find ourselves. Isaiah chapter so the tricks. Yes, yes. The truth has become wrong and it, it may soon be illegal to make it public at all, he added. Mm-hmm. A pro-LGBT lobby in uh, 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 called the uh, Telerado self-described as the most experienced NGO in Poland in the Rainbow Families topic brought the indictment against the pro-lifer. Wow. According to, yeah, yeah. According wow. to the PRL's website, the Tolerado accused Dzierwoski, uh, and I'm sorry for the pr- mispronunciation of his name, of defamation for publicly disclosing results of scientific research indicating pedophilia is more common in the homosexual community. It further claimed that the disclosure exposes them to humiliation in the eyes of public opinion, which may which make it difficult for them to participate in educational activities among children. (laughs) Imagine that, Jess. Mm. (laughs) Makes it difficult for them to participate in educational (laughs) activities among children. It's like, hey, over here we have drag queens entertaining the kids at school, right? So we're not far off from this. Yeah, you're right. So we're not exactly the paradigm of virtue in this side of the pond. Yeah, yeah. The courts agreed with the opinion of the LGBT Act uh, the LGBT activists. Uh, Dershowski, in turn, published a number of accusations that he said can can be easily and quickly verified. He wrote, "There are a number of scientific studies indicating a disproportionately high percentage of pedophiles among homosexual among homosexuals." True statement. Number two. Yeah, the leader of LGBT activists. Uh, in Shrez, uh, just don't look to me, brother. Polish names, oh, yeah, you're doing better than okay. I am. Yeah, in Poland, was imprisoned for pedophilia some time ago. The LGBT community itself is repeatedly, openly expressed its positive attitude towards sex with children. True statement. Some LGBT. Yes, yeah, some LGBT activists work to legalize pedophilia. Oh yeah, even Another in this one. country. Yeah, in this country, there's an organization that's been working on that for for a long time. They're called NAMBLA, North American yep. Man Boy Love Association. So they've been working yep. on legalizing uh, uh, adult minor sexual relations for a long time now here in America. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, indeed. Uh, the organizers of the largest Warsaw LGBT. Uh, equality parade in Poland publicly boasted that the participant and the promoter of the parade in the past was a German politician who demanded the legalization of pedophilia. Wow. The former spokesman of this equality parade said himself that he was a pedophile and that he did not agree to ban to the ban on taking out 
uh, excuse me, on talking about the so-called positive pedophilia. LGBT act, uh, activists from Poznan have published a brochure in which they openly describe sexual orgies involving young boys. You see, just he's just laying out facts. If, if that doesn't when, say it all, if that doesn't say it all, yeah, I mean, that would yeah. that should sustain a guilty verdict in any court with oh, common yeah. sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But there's common sense is out the window. Uh, listen, he speaks the inconvenient truth. Oh, yeah. And the truth is. Of, but and I always say this, just the truth is offensive. But if the truth offends you, you need to be offended. And obviously, uh, as sacred scripture says, these people professing to be wise, and in this case, the courts of Poland, or at least this this one particular judge who ruled on this, they became fools. And that's exactly that's exactly what they do. They have become fools. Um, Mm. Let's see. New recording showing LGBT activists. Yeah. 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 New recording showing LGBT activists exposing themselves in front of children and performing erotic dances in front of the youngest ones are constantly circulating on social media. The media report further detentions of LGBT activists who headed large pedophile groups that sexually abuse children and produce child pornography. We have heard shocking reports of verdicts against homosexual pedophiles who brought children from surrogate mothers only to rape mm. them. This wow. guy did his this guy did his homework. If this yeah. is his evidence, this guy's had has bulletproof evidence to make the case over in Poland, but he ran into a woke judge who was who knows Paul the, the judge is probably homosexual himself. Think about it. Okay? Yeah. 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 Uh, The article ends, it says, he said the rainbow revolutionaries and the courts that support them not only pretend that such situations do not occur, but also threaten anyone who reminds it, who reminds about it in public space. Uh, (laughs) This guy's name is uh, Desir Zaski's Pro-Life Foundation, claims to be the organizer of the largest public social campaigns in Poland, broadcasting the effects of abortion and LGBT sexual education by delivering its messages on posters, billboards, and vans, uh, quote, millions of polls, close quote, are exposed to a clear and independent message, close quote, abortion is murder, and sexual education is sexual violence against children, close quote. This guy's a good man. I bet you, I bet you he's a practicing Catholic who lives a serious sacramental life, Paul. I, I, just, I just get those yeah. vibes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you, when wow. you go against... When you go against the homosexual lobby, you're going against Goliath, literally Goliath. Yeah, right? because you know, Jess, that there are demons also behind this. Uh, uh, that there is a demon, right? Uh, uh, can you hear me, yeah. Jess? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a demonic force that is behind the homosexuality. As you have well pointed out to me many times. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, Father Chad Rippergrew, who's probably uh, you know he's on the top of the food chain when it comes to exorcist on planet Earth, and he talks about the fact that under Satan you have five generals, and uh, and these these five generals under him, uh, he says they manage what's called the table, where they basically just parcel out uh, assignments. But uh, these demons, like Paul says, 
the, the first one that Father Ripperger talks about is Baal, the demon of impurity. Then he says the second one is Asmodeus, the demon of homosexuality in men. Then there's demon number three, the third general, Leviathan, who's the demon of homosexuality in men, but of the masculine kind. Then there's number four, the spirit of Lilith, which is a demon of lesbianism. And then there's number, the fifth general is Baphomet. He's a demon of child sacrifice. He says he's received this information several times uh, during exorcisms where the demons, and he goes, Satan himself has given him the structure of the kingdom of darkness, given the names of the generals. And uh, these are some, these are some powerful uh, fallen angels that are behind the whole homosexual movement. And by the way, we reject, rebuke, and renounce all these evil spirits, all these demons in Jesus' name. Go to the foot of the cross that Jesus Christ may do with you as he wills. And Mother Mary, crush these five demons under your sacred and immaculate feet. Amen. Paul, comments? Yeah, Jess, we're at war, okay? And, <laughs> we're at war. And if, and if, it. Yeah, yeah. And we need to wake up because... The world is not going to all of a sudden start making the right decisions. The reason why we are on this seemingly sliding or slippery slope heading in a downward trajectory is simply just because the church has somehow, some way been infiltrated and forgotten its position as uh, uh, uh well, example, the Pope is the vicar of Christ on earth, and we must we must take his truth and obey his mandate to go out into the world, to convert the world, to teach them all that Christ has commanded us and taught us to do. And that is the problem. So it lies within the church. And until we fix the church, until the church... Uh, comes to this reality and repents from anything that we need to repent from we're not going to have the we're not going to have any significant change in this world paul our bishops the pope and the bishops they're called the, the sound the trumpets but saint paul tells yep. us in first corinthians 14 8 he says if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound who will ever prepare himself for battle Exactly. This is why this is why nothing this is why this chaos is happening because the trumpets are silent. Hey. Hey church. Keep your eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith and remember the words of Saint Father to feel pray hope and don't worry where is useless God is merciful and will hear your prayer. Pray your rosaries every day. <laughs>